And welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is a weekly discussion program of all things political coming to you through the facilities of Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, Ontario, 92.7 on your FM dial. My name is Bill Templeman. In addition to this radio show, Pints and Politics is streamed live from the Trent Radio website. We also have a podcast at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. And every Thursday, a small crew of pundits gathers at the Garnet Pub, Aylmer and Hunter in Peterborough. At 5 p.m. for an informal uh, gathering, where we talk, where at we talk about all things political. We post on Twitter at Bill Temp and on the Cooperate Peterborough Facebook page. Joining me uh, today is Ian Pendle, who's uh, running for a seat in Ashburnham Ward. Welcome, Ian. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, Ian. Here we are on another sweltering summer day in Peterborough, and you've decided to run with all that that entails, going door to door. Why are you doing this? Uh, bad life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think uh, the short answer is I'm passionate about people. I uh, did my undergraduate degree in international development because I was passionate about people. I uh, did my law degree because I thought it would be passionate about uh, I would be able to help people. And I think this is just another opportunity. And frankly, uh, my wife told me that she thought it was a good idea about a week before I filed my nomination papers and that was the final straw <laughs> get out of the house <laughs> oh i know the syndrome um okay now what do you uh, could you just sort of flesh out a bit about your background so what do you bring to this uh, challenge running for office as a candidate not council in terms of my history i came to peterborough i guess about four years ago i've been a lawyer here for the past four years and been on a number of boards. And then I've said where my uh, education was. I went to Queens. And I think in terms of what I bring to council, I, I obviously am a younger guy. I'm 31 years old. I've got my own kids who were born here and my own family and have the perspective of trying to build a, uh, a life here from a, as a 31-year-old man. And uh, beyond that, I just hope to bring kind of a honest outlook and a uh, rational decision-making to council. Interesting. Now, it's uh, I find it fascinating you brought up the issue of age because certainly the council meetings we've both been to, when you look at that big U-shaped table, most of the people are on the downside of 50. Uh, I think uh, if you were elected, it would be yourself and, and Diane Terrian who are below the age of four. Is that right? Oh, and Andrew Beamer, below the age of 40 or about. Uh, how do we get more young people, well, A, to run, but uh, I guess more importantly, just interested and bothering to vote and involved in municipal politics? I think they kind of, they play off of each other to a certain extent is that if you have the people running for council or otherwise involved in municipal politics all over the age of 60, it's hard for the 22-year-old to see why they should become involved. And I think a lot of that's just getting out there and saying, if you plan to make a life in this city, the decisions these people make are going to have a big impact on mm -hmm. you over the next 20 years. And really, they're probably going to have a bigger impact on you than the retiree because the retiree... <laughs> you know, time waits for no one at the end of the day. And a lot of these decisions, and uh, but they're not necessarily sexy decisions. They're not going <laughs> to make the national post. <laughs> yes. But at the end of the day, where you take your kids in downtown and what it looks like and where how the city's zoned is going to have a greater impact on your ability to raise a family in a happy environment and afford your house. 
and it's just getting that message across to young people that, you know, if you do plan to live here for the next 40 years, it's important that you think about who's going to make those decisions on your behalf. I think in fairness, the other issue is when you do have young kids, it's hard to just find the time to care. Uh, you're more worried about like, you're just trying to get to the time at 8 p.m. so they go to sleep so you can have 45 minutes uh, to yourself before you go to sleep and start it all over again. <laughs> and the idea that you're going to be worried about a zoning bylaw amendment in that time is, I think, hard for people. So it's really trying to make those issues more real to people too. Sure. Now, have you started to knock on doors yet? No, because of the last minute support of my wife there, we are still just trying to get things together. I think uh, probably middle of August, we'll start knocking on doors and getting people out there. Great. Okay. Now, what issues do you think you're going to hear about What's your, your sense, your intuition as you, you make the rounds? What are people going to be saying that they're concerned about? Well, in my ward in particular, I think you're going to hear a lot about the lift lock development. I think in general, the, there'll always be kind of the old issues that keep coming up uh, in terms of uh, it's hard to get anywhere in this town without talking about the parkway or talking about uh, now the sale of PDI. But I think in terms of what people are most concerned about is, or what I'm hoping people are most concerned about, because it's what I'm most concerned about, is uh, affordability in the city and jobs in the city in terms of how are we going to keep young people here and families here so people can live the next 30 years in a comfortable way like people have been. Now, your kids are very young, obviously. A minor you know, generation older, they're you know either in school or finished school looking for work. And leaving Peterborough is becoming a necessity for them and their whole age cohort. What can the city do about making this place more attractive in terms of employment and career options for young people? I think um, part of it's by making employers want to come here and showing that Peterborough is open to having open to business and open to entrepreneurship. I think you're starting to see it already to a certain extent. Like when I first moved here. I was the only lawyer under the age of 30 in the city, and there was <laughs> only two or three under the age of 40. Right. And since I've been here, there's been seven or eight that have joined. And I think that's the thing. Peterborough is this great city for people to raise a family in and build a life in. It's just... It's not, it's not it come across that way because there's this kind of idea that it's a bit closed off to business or resistant to change. And I think to the extent that Peterborough opens itself up to change, a lot of people will want to put their businesses here because there's very few places better in the province to raise a family if you can find employment. Right. Now, in, in terms of looking at the issues of the day, and you know, you, you've decided to run, you know what they are, you already mentioned a few of them. Where do you stand on those issues that are bound to come up? Should you be successful and uh, wind up in council? And of course we're talking about, well, PDI is done, but there's the parkway, there's the annexation there in the south end, there's, well, the development uh, lift lock, uh, there's the whole in drive to intensification that the Ontario government would like all municipalities to get on board with? Where are you in all of those? And you can pick and choose however you want to unbundle that. <laughs> so in terms of the intensification, I think you have to do both. I, I do believe that in a place where affordability is becoming an issue, where I'm running into clients who are employed, uh, who are having trouble finding rental housing in the city and are having trouble uh, otherwise 
finding a place to raise a family that's halfway decent for them. The only way we're going to resolve that is by increasing inventory. And part of that's going to have to be intensification. Part of that's going to have to be new development. In terms of new development, though, you have to sit there like the lift lock. You don't write a blank check and say, yeah, we're just so happy to have you here that we'll let you build whatever you want. It has to make sense for the city. It has to, I think you take a hard negotiation tactic with the developer to, to see what concessions you can get out of them. But at the end of the day, there has to be also a realization that if we're going to keep housing affordable in this uh, town, it's going to have to be both in terms of new development and intensification. Now, g- given your profession, you're, you're a lawyer and I don't, what, what sort of law do you practice? So I do primarily uh, civil litigation and family law. Okay. Because I was going to get to the, the whole issue of the lift lock development. What do you think the issues are in terms of both support for and resistance against that development from from Ashburnham Ward residents? I mean, the rest of us in town, the town wardies and so on can hoot and scream all we want, but really it's the people who are going to vote for you that will make the difference. So, so what do you think the sense is out there in the community? I think in, in terms of any new development, there's always going to be some concern that it's going to negatively affect the current residents' way of life. But there's obviously going to be concerns around the traffic that it's going to increase. Mm-hmm. And I think those are, those are concerns I really have as well as particularly as it relates to um, the intersection of Armour and Sophia there, which is already kind of a troublesome intersection if you add 450 housing units on the other side of Ashburnham and then close out the lift lock way of getting across into downtown. I think you start to see a lot more pressure into other parts of uh, East City that will need to resolve. There's other things I'm hearing about flooding in the area. And these are all kind of concerns that I think the planning department, along with the developer, can work together to try to resolve. You got to remember, the developer is trying to make a lot of money, but they're also investing a lot of money. And I think the key is to try to get them to invest as much as you possibly can. And the other factor there is to take down their profits maybe a little bit. But I also think you're going to have an issue that people aren't talking about is that there's just not enough inventory of new homes in this city. And I don't think people like yourself want your kids to have to move because they can't afford to live here. So we're going to need new developments. Uh, So despite the fact there's going to be concerns and we should work to resolve those concerns, we should also work to ensure that our kids have a place to live. Yes, and although there are people, advocates of intensity, who who want to see more uh, multi-story buildings downtown and not have so much suburban sprawl, I've been told the reality is that a lot of people like living out in the suburbs, the car dependent lifestyle, being able to drive, having their own backyards, having a bit of space. Is that your experience? I mean, you're, you're a new resident of Peterborough. Yeah, no, certainly. Like my wife grew up a bit out in the country and that was our great uh, compromise is that I would be, <laughs> I would be one of those people that would live in right downtown and she would be one of those people that would want to live on 40 acres. And we live just north on Armour Road on a big enough uh, lot, and we over, and it's just a small bungalow. But yeah, certainly I think people still have that, and why not have that mentality? They want to have a place where their kids can kick a ball around in the sock backyard, and you can't do that in a condo. If you wanted to live in a condo, <laughs> there's plenty in downtown Toronto, and I think a lot of what attracts people to Peterborough is that idea of having a bit of space. And if uh, and we're uh, and we also have the ability to expand 
we're not sitting there in a place like in southern Ontario where you've either got green belt or city sprawling into each other. So it makes sense that we can grow out a bit and give people the opportunity to move into this community and have the lifestyle that they want. All right, I guess hopefully we won't bump into Coburg anytime soon. <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. Now, in terms of the long term, what is your vision for Peterborough as a community? And frame that however you wish, but sort of one of the one of the key cornerstones, of course, would be what's going to be the economic base of Peterborough going forward. I mean, I have been told that in the 30s and 40s, this was Peterborough was one of the larger manufacturing centers in Canada because it had GE, it had Evinrude, it had Edward Green, it had Westclock, you know, and on and on and on. It was it was a manufacturing center. Of course, those days are gone. So what is the future going to be like? Like how will P- Peterborough grow and what will be here? When you look at Peterborough in terms of the assets it has, I think the greatest asset it has is it has a tremendous uh, human capital. Uh, mm. So you see it moving more into a service industry, but you also see things like the innovation cluster and smaller kind of technological firms in the area. And I think that'll continue to grow because I think, again, what you're going to see is companies that aren't reliant on manufacturing, uh, great big oil tankers or something like that, are going to want to have be in a place where they and their employees can have a lifestyle that is comfortable and that they enjoy. And there's, like I said earlier, there's very few better places in the province. You're 35 minutes away from lakes in the Kawartha Highlands. You have a vibrant kind of downtown community with lots of festivals and lots of things going on. It's still in comparison to southern Ontario and in and around the GTA relatively affordable. So I think you're going to be able to attract a lot of technological firms and a lot of service industry to the extent that they see Peterborough as a place that's open for business and open for development. Right. Yeah. Important factors. Now, in terms of issues that you might be dealing with, uh, I shouldn't use the conditional, let's use the definite that you will be dealing, dealing with should you be successful. Taxes. How do you finesse that? Well, particularly going to door to door, door, you know, on your canvassing. How do you handle all, or how will you handle those challenges of? So what are you going to do about my taxes? Well, I think no one's really campaigning on let's raise taxes. So I think <laughs> it's one of those things. Yeah. Everyone, everyone's literature is going to say the same thing. It's going to say, you know, I care about the tax dollar and the rest of it. I think at the end of the day. I've uh, I've come to this uh, town. I've started my own law practice. I've got an idea of money coming in, money coming out, and trying to find efficiencies. What I'm going to try to do more than worry about taxes is worry about spending. Uh, what you got to do is kind of make sure you get spending under control. That you're only spending money when you have to spend money, or when it makes sense to spend money, and then you don't have to worry about things like how much do we have to raise taxes to deal with the deficit because you don't have one. So I, I look at the problem as the opposite, look at it in the opposite direction. How do we use people's money as smart as possible and do things with their money that they want done so that we're not in a position where we're worried about raising taxes to pay for some deficit to fund some study that, frankly, if you ask the average person in Ashburnham whether they would have wanted it or not, they would have said no. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, one of the delights of running for uh, office, of course, is you get to write your own policy. You don't have to pass it by some provincial or national party and have it approved. And partisanship in terms of 
the big four parties, at least in English Canada, the, the, the NDP, the Liberals and Conservatives and the Greens, really aren't a factor, or at least theoretically aren't a factor in municipal politics. But how do you see those partisanships influencing council? Should they? And how can you work with them? So you might know this better than me, being a former candidate, but you do see it uh, where people start to kind of, they want to box you into, is this guy a conservative? Is he a liberal? Is he an NDP? As if that makes a big difference on the idea of, I want to help bring jobs to Peterborough. I don't see most issues for council as partisan issues, but for whatever reason, people have seemed to group themselves into kind of their own tribes. But at the end of the day, I think the point of a council member is to sit there and say, what makes sense for my ward? What What's going to do the most good for the families that live here? Reasonable people can disagree. And part of that might be colored by some political background that they have. But that shouldn't stop people from trying to find solutions. Now, what's your sense of the current tone of debate here? I mean, have we got to the toxic point of federal politics? Or is it still possible for council members to sit in the same room and have reasonably civil discussion about some of the issues of the day, like PDI, like the Parkway, like where do we put the new hockey rink, etc. Yeah, I don't know that the discourse is toxic. I think part of the problem becomes that it strikes me that everything's becoming a, people are trying to go to the base and they have their base of supporters and they want to appease the base rather than necessarily make a decision that may or may not be what they think is best in the context. And you've got different bases of supporters that then are dictating the debates in council when there's 80,000 residents here. And what should be dictating the debates is let's just get down to how we can help most of them. Right. Yeah, you know, you raise an interesting issue. Sylvia Sutherland, the former mayor, was on a panel we ran a few weeks ago, and she told the story of one of her, or the councillors that was on when she was in power, said, you know, I received 15 calls last night about, or last week, about such and such an issue. And her retort was, well, you know, George or Helen, how many people are in your ward? You know, you know, that's probably somewhere even back then, uh, ten to twelve thousand. So fifteen people called. What does it mean? Yeah, no, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. As you sit there and you go, most people are busy trying to raise their families. Right. They're at the end of the day. If you're working full time and you've got two kids at home, I can attest to the fact that <laughs> <laughs> you're probably not sitting there. You read the newspaper, you might have some concerns, but unless something's drastically going to impact your life, you're probably not making the phone call. And I think that'll be the same thing in terms of this, in terms of any type of new development in this city. You have a lot, you have these people that show up who don't want to see it, but the 70,000 people who do don't show up. Right. And of course, we're treading around the whole issue of civic engagement. Now, there have been critics of how there are critics of how the city goes about engaging with the public in terms of consultation, in terms of invitations, uh, in terms of listening to the public and informing the public. And it seems that uh, we get to decide once in every four years who we want around the table. And then the rest of the time, it's, you know, that's fine. We'll decide and we'll tell you what we've decided. How can the city improve its its game in terms of civic engagement? I think a lot of it 
What strikes me from talking about the issues that have come up is that the city's not necessarily, or certain members aren't necessarily great at selling what they're doing. And it's the lack of knowledge that then creates fear, that then creates both the distrust and opposition. When I've started to actually dig into these issues, my initial reaction and what I learned after going and doing a bit of reading are often drastically different. But again, if I wasn't running for council, I probably wouldn't have done the reading uh, to the extent that I, if it doesn't, it's, it's hard to find time in the day. So I think a lot of it in terms of communication is just selling the ideas because a lot of them aren't bad ideas. They're just badly sold. Right. Now, in terms of improving that, what what ways have you seen or what techniques have you seen in other cities um, that seem to work that maybe Peterborough could give a try for? For example, I've heard that in, in Hamilton, there is a group called Council Watch, and it's a group of citizens who attend the meetings, who get the reports, who, who do the reading, and then they spread the word to other people so that more people are informed because just to jump in, as you say, I mean, most of us, we're busy. We have full-time jobs and full-time lives. We don't have, you know, we can't go through these 20, 40, 50 page reports with any degree of insight. I think a lot of it too is how you phrase things. Like I know as a lawyer, lawyers have a certain language about Mm-hmm. And the average person that comes into my office doesn't want to hear about res judicata because they look at you and say, okay, thank you very much. And confused. <laughs> so a lot of it, I think, is just when you have these conversations with people, talk to them like you talk to your mom over Thanksgiving dinner. And I think that's where a lot of the communication has gone wrong is not so much that the city's not communicating, it's that they're not communicating in a way that a normal person <laughs> communicates. So I sit there and I it will step into a controversial subject because it'll come up one way or the other. But I sit there and I look at the issue of the parkway. One is, why do we keep calling it the parkway when the only kind of thing on the table is a two-lane road? It's not a parkway by any meaningful understanding of that word. It's a street. And then we talk about all these issues about destroying green space. Well, let's, let's have an honest discussion about it and say we've got one road that, uh, or one potential road in which the city already owns the land that goes past the hospital. I, and I can tell you a true story. I have a four-month-old daughter at home. We got sent away from the hospital while my wife was still in labor to go walk around because she wasn't in labor enough. We were down at uh, the sub, that new fireman sub place on Lansdowne Street and the parkway. My wife starts going into very intense labor. So I rush back to the hospital and I have to go down Kinsilla, left on Sherbrooke, onto Hospital Drive. At the end of the day, in that moment, I wish there was a two-lane road that connected the parkway <laughs> to Hospital Drive rather than some dirt path that not too many people go behind. So that's the kind of communication that I think makes these issues bigger issues than they need to be. If you look at the 2012 transportation document that talks about what's being proposed as a partial parkway, it includes having a recreational path beside it. But when you talk to the average person on the street about it, they have this image of just a four-lane highway plowing through the city and cutting up Jackson Park into pieces. And that's just something where somewhere along the line, no one's really communicated what's on the table to the people who are 
half listening. Right. Although I understand the bridge over Jackson Park now is pretty much off the table. Isn't that right? I don't, I don't, I certainly am not, I think the roundabouts make more sense. I don't, I'm not as well versed in terms of uh, what's possible and what people are seeking, but in my own mind, the partial parkway, which is what they call, called it in the 2012 plan, is what makes the most sense to me. And I think it makes the most people happy because it avoids the bridge. But. So Ian, are there any things you want to leave uh, the voters in Ashburnham with in terms of uh, ideas they should uh, think of as they uh, make their decision and start looking at, of course, October 9th, the start of online voting, but uh, of course, election day, October 22nd. I think this municipal election is something that it's it's hard to really turn your mind to, but if you plan on making a life here for the next 10, 20 years, it's important that you get out there, you consider the candidates, you consider who you think you can trust and who you think is going to represent your interests and get out there and vote. And I hope that uh, enough people I can get out there and shake their hand and they'll think I'm that candidate that you vote for me. Great. Well, Ian Pendle, uh, running in Ashburn Ward, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. All right. Good luck now.